0: Father, we do give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the words of Jesus which come to us. We need to tear them, Lord, and receive them. Lord, we need you to work the power of them in our hearts, in this community, and in our world today. We pray that you would do this work in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you remember an experience of feeling completely helpless? Probably not one that you want to remember. But think about it. Sometime recently or in the past that you were in desperate need. Most of us know what that feels like. At one time or another, to be in great need, to be at the end of our rope. For some of us, this may have come in a financial way. Losing a job, a big financial loss, something that jeopardized our family. Maybe it was a physical need, something involving our health. For others, it could have been psychological or emotional. Raising children and how that didn't go like we thought it would go. A marriage that's in a difficult season. Dealing with severe anxiety or depression. Sometimes it's a spiritual helplessness that we just can't quite seem to help ourselves in our spiritual lives. In one way or another, we've all experienced this kind of desperation, but we do not like to live there. We want to get out of those places as soon as possible. That is human nature. We want to live from a place of financial, emotional, spiritual, and every other kind of stability. And I don't think it's wrong to desire that kind of stability in life. But do you ever get the sense that the Lord is intentionally frustrating our plans to have things stable and peaceful in our lives? I sometimes get that feeling because I think the Lord wants us to live our lives out of a sustained experience of helplessness. Say that again. I think the Lord wants us to live our lives out of a sustained experience of helplessness. He wants us to feel daily, even hourly, our deep and profound need not for stability, not for control, but for Him. Well, this morning, we are going to dip our toe into the Sermon on the Mount. And I do mean dip our toe. The Sermon on the Mount is like a massive body of water, and we're just barely going to get into it. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we have recorded the most famous sermon of Jesus. It's a powerful sermon. If you've read it, if you've studied it, if you've heard it preached, it is the best ethical teaching, regardless of even people who aren't Christians, they would acknowledge this is very good ethical teaching. But if you've looked at it, you know that it's extremely difficult to live out. It's not just something we can check the boxes and say, oh yes, I completed that task. It's something that goes deep, it goes to the heart. There's even parts of the Christian church that suggested that maybe maybe this isn't for now. Maybe this Sermon on the Mount is for like another age or something like that. Because it's really just too hard. We can't be expected to live up to this, can we? Well, if I was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, knowing the heavy ethical teaching that was to follow, I would have begun by saying something like this. Blessed are the rich in spirit. Blessed are those who have master's degrees and and doctorates in theology and ethics. Blessed are those who have Nobel Peace Prizes. Blessed are those who never get angry, never look at a woman lustfully, never thought about divorcing their spouse, and who have never wanted to hit their enemy in the face. In short, blessed are those who spiritually have it all together because you and only you will be able to live out the Sermon on the Mount. That's how I would have started. That's what makes sense to me. But not Jesus. No, instead, he utters one of the strangest teachings we've ever heard. It is the first beatitude, and it sets the tone for the rest of the sermon. And it has baffled scholars and ethicists and preachers ever since. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they don't have what it takes. Blessed are the spiritually helpless, the spiritually needy, the spiritually desperate. For theirs, and only theirs, is the kingdom of heaven. That's how Jesus begins his sermon. And it is a profound word of grace. Because Jesus is blessing those who know they have nothing. Who know they don't have spiritual credentials they don't have anything by which they can commend themselves to a holy god putting this right at the beginning of the sermon on the mount lays out this implication for us to live out that sermon and make no mistake that is what jesus intended to be kingdom people we live this to live that out jesus wants us to embrace right from the beginning our poverty of spirit scholar dale bruner said it like this the purpose of every command in the Sermon on the Mount is to drive its hearers back to the first beatitude because the first beatitude is the blood for living the Sermon on the Mount. And so now we begin to see helplessness in a whole new way. We don't like that. We don't want to live with that. But in the hands of Jesus, our helplessness, our neediness becomes the lifeblood for living the ethics of the kingdom and becoming obedient and becoming the followers of Jesus we want to be. And so this morning, I just want to reflect on that one beatitude, poor in spirit. It is something I think we resist, and yet to be spiritually healthy, we need to embrace it. And I want to look at it by asking three questions. The first is this. How do we define it? I've offered a few suggestions, but, but how might we define this poor in spirit? Well, first of all, it's important to note that there is more than one word in the Greek language for poor. Matthew chooses the strongest word available to communicate this idea of poverty. In its root, it means to cower or to cringe. It speaks of one who is in utter destitution, one that has to beg. Some have rendered it as spiritually bankrupt, I think you could put it even stronger. I think you could say, blessed are the spiritual beggars, the spiritually destitute. The British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones defines poverty of spirit by what it is not. It is a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance and self-reliance. One who is spiritually poor knows that they have no resources by which they can earn their way into the kingdom. In another place in the Gospels, Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives us a parable that demonstrates wonderfully what poverty of spirit looks like. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the Pharisee, he's not poor in in spirit, is he? He is commending himself to God. Then Jesus contrasts that with the tax collector. What is a tax collector? Well, think about it like a Bernie Madoff like someone who has made themselves rich by cheating others, not well-loved in Israel at that time. Well, standing far off, this tax collector would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That man is poor in spirit. He knew he was a wretch. He knew he didn't have anything by which to commend himself to God, so he threw himself on the mercy of God. Who went home justified that day? Who went home in right relationship with God? Who went home rich in the kingdom that day? It was the tax collector. The cheating Wall Street banker who recognized his own sin, his inability to help himself, and he threw himself on the mercy of God. There's another part of poor in spirit that it's, it's good to recognize. If you flip over to Luke... And you were to look at his version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's different, but he's got his own little version of the Beatitudes. And there he says, blessed are the poor. No poor in spirit, just poor. And that's characteristic of Luke. He likes to focus on the material poverty and, and our call to serve those and to care for those in that place. But what do we make of this in terms of Beatitudes? Are we to conclude that Jesus is blessing material poverty? Well, certainly throughout the Old and New Testaments, we do see that that God has a special care for the poor. We heard that in Micah 6, 8. But nowhere is material poverty called good. In and of itself, poverty is not something to bless. So I would say, no, Jesus is not blessing material poverty. He's not indicating that being poor is the way that one receives the kingdom. That would be a distortion of the gospel. But in reading Matthew and Luke... Uh, we do see this connection between material poverty and our sense of neediness and dependence on God. Because probably more than anything else, it is material wealth that can fool us into believing that we don't need God. Having wealth perpetuates this illusion that we can be independent and self-sufficient. It makes us think there is something else out there that we can place our hope in besides God. I think that's why jesus said things like it's extremely difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven not because his material wealth is in and of itself evil but because he is so easily fooled that he is self-sufficient i don't need anything i can take care of myself and if that's our attitude we can't enter the kingdom of god brings us to our second question what hinders us from embracing our poverty of spirit what hinders us apart from Jesus every single human being is poor in spirit whether they realize it or not we're all desperate and needy creatures and I think deep down every human being knows it and we compensate for it and we hide it and we bury it because we know that there is this horrible vulnerability that we have where does it come from Where do we get this idea that we can cover that up and live independently from God? It goes right back to the beginning. The earliest temptation that we had, Adam and Eve, in the garden, was to live independently from God, to be self-sufficient. We wanted to have knowledge and, and happiness and contentment and relationships to be like God without God. And so we embraced the lie this despicable lie from the pit of hell that human beings can live life without God. You want to understand what's going on in our culture right now? We've kicked God out of it. We don't need you in how we define marriage. We don't need you in how we define life. We don't need you in how we do economics. We don't need you in immigration. We don't need you. We can figure it out ourselves. We've been drunk on that illusion ever since. We don't want anyone to take away this precious thing we hold tight to. We can do it ourselves. It's worldwide. Everywhere you go, you see this. But what does it look like in Charlotte? Well, I think specifically in South Charlotte, where many of us live, it feels like there's this unwritten rule that everything has to look nice. Everything needs to be clean and and put together. Our our bodies need to look good. This place runs a business because people know that their bodies need to look good. And that's not a bad thing to be healthy. There's a pressure that our our families need to conform to to some standard of success. We need to look and act a certain way. Then you add to that what a churched culture we are, a Christianese culture we are, and so it comes through in religion. And Christianity itself can become this nice way of of packaging up our lives like the pretty paper we use to, to make everything look perfect. I wonder if one of the greatest fears in Charlotte is that we would be found out, is that it would be discovered that we don't have it all together, that deep down below the nice manicured exterior of our lives there is ugliness and brokenness and pain and desperate neediness. I think Charlotte and every other place needs to hear Jesus' word afresh. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So embrace your poverty of spirit. Don't run for it from it. Embrace your need, embrace your helplessness, let it direct you to Christ, and then you will become rich beyond your wildest imagination you will actually possess the kingdom of heaven. It will be yours. So third question, how do we become poor in spirit? Well, the short answer is this, and again I borrow from Martin Lloyd-Jones. We become poor in spirit not by looking at ourselves, but by looking at God. Not by looking at ourselves, but by looking at God. It's important to note that The Beatitudes are character traits that are formed in us as the gospel of the kingdom takes hold of our hearts. So the gospel of the kingdom takes over and we become these poor in spirit people, these meek people, these mourning people. um, All of these things are formed in us. They're not something that we go out by our effort and do on our own to earn the kingdom. They're really more like the fruit of the spirit, something that is produced in us. So as the richness of the gospel takes hold of us, we begin to see that we are poor in comparison. As the sheer beauty and holiness and glory of the king and his kingdom comes into the life of us, we see our own inadequacy. When We grasp the gospel, we experience the kingdom. That is a natural first reaction, is to see how poor we are. Only then can we see Jesus as he truly is and who he is redeeming and making us to be. We see this in both Old and New Testament, this very common reaction when somebody gets a glimpse of God and his kingdom. Great chapter, Isaiah 6, uh, he has this powerful vision of God. Listen to how it unfolds. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew and called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah was getting to see some of God's unspeakable holiness and glory on display. Do you remember what his reaction was? Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw his poverty by seeing God. Peter, Luke chapter 5, has this all-night fishing trip, totally unsuccessful. Jesus tells the disciples where to fish. And lo and behold, they have an enormous catch. Peter recognizes the miracle for what it was. Not some neat trick, but a sign that Yahweh, the creator God, who has authority over all living things, has drawn near and was present in the man standing before him. Peter saw it. He got it. What did he do? He fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. When Jesus' true identity was revealed, Peter became poor in spirit. God wants us to live perpetually in His presence, continually relating to Him, seeing Him, praying to Him, worshiping Him. When we live like that, we will be constantly aware of our poverty of spirit. It's not something that we'll ever grow out of although I think it changes. In the beginning, it might start with fear. In the beginning, it might start with a profound awareness of our own shame. But in time, we begin to see the Lord's love. In time, we have this confidence, this assurance that we have been forgiven and cleansed and made new. And so we can come into his presence fully assured that we are loved, that we are daughters and sons of the King, but we never become proud. We never become independent. Rather, as we grow with the Lord, so do we grow in our deep need of Him. And so in a strange sort of way, maturity in Christ means increased neediness and helplessness, increased dependence on Him. But here's the catch. The world will watch the opposite happen they will think that we've grown in confidence and strength. They will seem, hey, we're grounded, we're we're stable. You're so peaceful, you're so joyful. How does that come out in you? The world will think that we have some super strength or relying on ourselves, but we will know that it comes from a dependence on God. I also think it has a profound effect on community when we live out this beatitude. When a group of people have embraced their poverty of spirit, their need for God, I think two things happen. First, they become less needy for each other. Codependency decreases. People are not desperately trying to get their needs met by other people. But then a second thing can happen. As we embrace our poverty of spirit, relationships go deeper. We need each other less, but we love each other more. We open ourselves up. Vulnerability is increased because we know we're all poor in spirit We're all in need of God. We don't have to hide from each other anymore. And so while codependency, this unhealthy reliance on one another, decreases interdependency, which is that healthy, God-ordained way to connect with each other, that increases. We stop consuming one another to get our needs met and instead begin to serve one another, to lay our lives down. So friends, as strange as it may sound, I think the Lord is inviting us to a sustained lifestyle of helplessness, into a constant awareness of our daily and hourly need of Him. We're going to act this out in just a few minutes. table behind me, it's been set. It's the place where we come and we meet with the Lord and He nourishes us spiritually. We don't bring anything to this meal except to receive it in faith. Christ is the host. We are his guest, his poor and needy guest. And even if we wanted to add something to it, we, we can. He's already taking care of all the preparations. We're just really rehearsing and reacting here what he did for us on the cross. And so, if you're taking communion today, when you come forward, I would encourage you, if you don't already, to put your hands like this, to look at them empty as you walk down the aisle, and be reminded that He is going to fill you, that He is going to provide for you. You are spiritually poor, but in Him you will become spiritually rich. And as you look at your empty hands, think about the words from this great hymn that captures this idea so well Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Let's pray.